0: Well, we are in our third week of a sermon series that I have entitled, People Get Ready. What does it mean to get ready for Christmas, to truly experience Christmas? Christmas is not about something we buy. It's not about decorations. It's about our relationship with the God who took our flesh. And we need that so desperately. And so in the very first week as we we lit the candle of hope, we, we put out this plea, God, come down here, a plea for redemption. Lord, we need you, we need you now, please come down and act. Not something we wish for, something to which we have hope for. Last week, we lit the candle of love, and we had a sermon, The Path of Comfort. Oh, comfort, oh, comfort my people, we heard. And yes, it is God's love that is the true source of comfort. But today we have lit the joy candle. Today it's about the joy of redemption, the joy that God really can bring us this Christmas season and indeed every day. Now I want to begin with a story. There's a number of us that are a part of Adam Hamilton's uh, incarnation book that we're studying on Wednesday nights. And in this last week's chapter, he told a story, and he admitted that it's a story that has been told by preachers, male and female, young and old, for decades, even though everyone tells it in a slightly different way. I said earlier in the service, when I think of Christmas, I think of children, the joy on the children's faces. Well, there was one little boy who who did what most kids do. When, when you want something for Christmas, you kind of leave hints for your parents, don't you? Sometimes in subtle ways, sometimes in ways that are impossible to miss. And this little boy wanted a bike. And so way before the Christmas season even started, way before Advent, he started advocating that it was time that he have a brand new bike, a good one, a good one. And he got himself so involved with this that he really kind of came to believe that if there is no bike on Christmas morning for him to to see and to to, to have, to receive, there was going to be no joy at Christmas at all. The only thing that was going to bring him joy was this bike. And so as he thought about it, he realized he needed to go to a, a higher authority, a greater authority than his parents. So he wrote to Santa. He wrote the letter to Santa, he addressed it to the North Pole, and sent it in there. But then, after a few days, he started to think, you know what, I might need to go to an even greater authority than Santa Claus. And so, he started to write a letter to Jesus, to write a prayer. And in this, he asked Jesus for the bike, and he said, I have been good for six months. I deserve this, Jesus. Well, then he remembered some trouble he got in at school, and so he erased the six months, and he wrote down quickly, three months, I have been good for three months. Oh, and then he remembered the argument he got in with the neighbor next door, and so he crossed it off, and he said, I have been good for three weeks. Then he started to, to doubt himself. The house was all decorated with Christmas decorations, and there was a very ornate table with... Uh, Just a beautiful manger scene on there. And he walked past it every day. And, you know, there was the little figurine of the baby Jesus in the manger. There's Mary. There's Joseph. He used to play with the the animals there. There were wise men. There were shepherds. Looks very much like what we're going to have outside here on on Silver Spring Drive between 2 and 5. And then an idea came to his mind. He took the baby Jesus, he took uh, the Virgin Mary out of the scene took the Mary out of the scene and put it in his pocket, and then he wrote a new letter to Jesus. Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, I better get that bike. Friends, that's not a good way to approach that. Maybe you've heard that story told in in some similar fashion. But today, the day of joy, we, we lit a candle. that's a different color than the other candles. It is pink. And so I did some research. Why is this candle different from the others? Well, it turns out that today is a day called Gaudete. It's Gaudete Sunday. Gaudete. Say that with me at home. Say that with me here in the sanctuary. Gaudete. And this candle is important. You see, when the season of Advent was instituted by the church, when the the church folks realized we need to really prepare for the, the arrival of the Christ child much the same way we prepare ourselves for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, And so initially, the season of Advent was viewed as kind of a mini Lent. It was a time for fasting and self-denial. It was a time for reflection, a time for repentance. And so this pink candle represents joy. Pink represents joy and triumph. And so this candle exhibits a transition in the season of Advent away from repentance And into joy and celebration. It's called the candle of joy. In 2014, on Gaudete Sunday, the Pope said this, Gaudete Sunday is known as the Sunday of joy, and that instead of fretting about all they still haven't done to prepare for Christmas, people should think of all the good things life has given you to contemplate the the sources of joy in your life. And we know that while happiness is dependent upon external conditions, joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved, and that nothing, not sickness or failure, emotional distress or a broken foot, not oppression, war, or even death, can take that love away. And so we see that joy can be present even in the midst of sadness. And I want you to think about that. How is it possible for joy to be present even in the midst of sadness? I think we heard the answer in the pastoral prayer that was offered up this morning a little bit earlier. Our contentment comes and goes, I said. Our happiness ebbs and flows. Our feelings depend upon our circumstances, our physical health, our brain chemistry. But our joy is deeply rooted in our identity as your beloved children. And we give you thanks, Almighty God. Now, for far too many, there is not enough joy at Christmas. As a matter of fact, for for many, Christmas is a dreaded season for any number of reasons. I had a conversation with a man in his mid-30s just yesterday And he was telling me how much he just doesn't like this season, how it's hard for him to to have any kind of Christmas decorations. How He just doesn't like it. It's not a happy time for him. And for a lot of people, even though most years Christmas does bring great joy, this year is different in so many ways. I mean, so many ways. Isolation families making the decision to not gather together or just to to witness to one another and and be in in contact with one another only through a zoom meeting or a, a facebook live or or a google meet no this is a tough time of year for some broken hearts fear about the future is this vaccine or are these vaccines going to work Is life ever going to get back to the way it was a year ago? For others, it's financial stress caused by this pandemic. Stress after downsizing or or furloughs. Knowing that you're not going to be able to give the kind of things that you want to give. And so in this time, on this day, all around the world as Christians gather, if they use the lectionary... In every language where Christianity is practiced, people are going to receive Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. And this is what it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. And we know that's important because God's people were thrown into exile. Families ripped apart, taken to countries and thrown into cultures that were not their own. Isaiah continues. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes a joyous blessing instead of mourning, and festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing the cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. For generations. People long to get back to the land that was Promised to them to get back to their own culture. Yes, exile was terrible, but redemption is promised. The prophet has spoken. The prophet as the mouthpiece for God has spoken. Redemption is promised, and when it comes, there will be joy. Joyous blessing instead of mourning. Festive praise instead of despair. In Luke Chapter four. We have a story that lets us know that Jesus very much understood his relationship to this text, understood who He was supposed to be. And so he gathered together as the rabbi to do the teaching, the scroll was brought to me, unrolled the scroll and went to that uh, Isaiah 61. And he said this, "The spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me for the good for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor." He has sent me to comfort the broken heart and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Come. God is going to come down. After Jesus read those two verses, he rolled the scroll back up, sat down, which is how teachers taught back then, and said, I tell you the truth, This has been fulfilled this very, very day to a people who are longing with a messianic expectation. But we know the Israelites' history was was severe, and and we do know that that they did return from exile. They were back into their land. They started to rebuild just as the prophet Isaiah had spoken, and yet there was something new to threaten them. There was a drought that was threatening the, the fall harvest And so the psalmist writes in Psalm 126, when the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nations, those that had oppressed them, actually said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They will weep as they go to plant their seed, but they will sing as they return with the harvest. The word of God, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yes, they went out not knowing if they were going to be able to have their their bounty to have this, this festival. And yet they placed their trust in God. And we know that God's ability to restore life is beyond our understanding. Forests burn down, but are able to grow back, sometimes even more lush. Broken bones heal, which is a promise that Neil is is clinging to with his broken foot. And when my daughter was little, she broke her collarbone. The doctor said, the good news is, when it heals, it's going to be stronger than it was before. Even grief. Grief is not a permanent condition. Our tears can be seeds that grow into a harvest of joy. Why? Because God is able to bring good out of challenging times and tragedy. Nothing is impossible with our God, and our God is the God of love, and God only wants what's best for us. When we are burdened by sorrow, know that your times of grief will end and that you will find joy. And when we're in the midst of grief, when we're in the midst of sorrow, it's almost impossible to see that. But we must be patient, be patient as we wait, and to place our trust that God's great harvest of joy is coming. Do you have faith that that is indeed true? You see, this entire little psalm, Psalm 126, affirms that in times of leanness and in times of disaster, God will surely come to the community's aid God will respond. Yes, they had already uh, experienced the joy of, of, of coming back, but there's also a future joy that is anticipated, and we anticipate that joy ourselves. Deliverance is just the beginning, but God always wants to do more. God always wants to do more, but we are impatient. And when I think about it, we try to force joy ourselves. One way to force joy into life is trying to eliminate everything that might hurt and then try to lighten the boredom of that numbness by buying joy in entertainment. For many, Christmas time is just a season or an attempt to buy joy. But it is not true joy. It's just stuff, and stuff can raise, rust, and stuff can fade. True joy comes from God, not stuff. And Jesus understood this. And as he was teaching at the Sermon on the Mount, he he basically said, don't hoard treasure down here where you can lose it, where moth can destroy, it can rust, or worse, it can be stolen. Can somebody steal your joy? Jesus said, instead, stockpile treasures in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and, and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? Jesus was trying to convey the place where your treasure is, the source of your true joy. What you want most is is where you're going to end up. The joy comes because God knows how to wipe away tears. In his resurrection work, God creates the smile of new life. Joy is what God gives. It is not what we work up. Joy cannot be purchased simply received. This joy, this kind of joy that God is offering us isn't dependent upon our good luck in escaping hardship. It isn't dependent on our good health or our avoidance of pain. Christian joy is actually in the midst of pain and suffering and loneliness and misfortune. Do you believe that? So let me leave you with a way to think about this. For those of you at home Your screen right now in the little corner says the joy of redemption, joy, J-O-Y. And I invite you to think of that as an acronym, an acronym, J, Jesus, O, others, Y, yourself. When Jesus burst onto the scene, he echoed what was spoken in the Old Testament, but added another one, said, love the Lord your God with all you got. We need to love Jesus more than anything with our hearts, our minds, our souls, our efforts. But then Jesus went further, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you follow Jesus, you must always have an eye for the other before yourself. And you know, I think if any relationship that gets to a covenant relationship, let's just say a marriage, if we allow joy to be the acronym in our lives, we know that if Jesus is at the center and if the other is is uh, above yourself, that relationship, those partners, it's going to be hard for them to fail, because their priorities are going to be great: God first, Jesus, the other, and then yourself. As we've heard, our contentment comes and goes, our happiness ebbs and flows. Our feelings depend upon our circumstances, our physical health, our brain chemistry. But our joy is deeply rooted in our identity as your beloved children.